Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Doing good? Doesn't look like it right now. <laughs> Maybe have a little more energy. Maybe you guys are all tired, but it's okay. Um, well, uh, to get started with my message, I, I wanted to tell a story um, of a time when I was in high school. Um, but before I do that, it, it's kind of interesting because the last few weeks, um, I've had opportunities to speak uh, with different groups here at Lighthouse. So about two weeks ago, I had spoken with the, the site students on their Friday night uh, get-together, and, and I spoke on this idea of how the gospel informs how we view community. And then just last week, uh, I spoke with 2911, giving a message about how we're called to, to be the church how we are to live out this, this mission of being the church. And so it's interesting because today um, I'm speaking to you on a message that's almost a combination uh, of those two messages because it, it so happens that that's kind of the topic that I'm talking about today, even this morning. So it's, maybe this is a running theme. God had a plan for that so that, you know, He was preparing me for it to be able to give you this message. Um, and so today what I'm addressing is this idea or thought that love creates safe places for both you and I. Uh, I told this story to the site students, uh, and this was a story about myself in high school. Uh, so if you don't know this about me, midway through my years in high school, so right after my sophomore year in high school, my parents had moved to Korea. And so I moved with them. And so I ended up spending two years of my high school life uh, living in Seoul, South Korea. And looking back at those two years of high school, I really thought I was some, like, cool kid, okay? But if I really was honest with you, I was really just a wannabe, okay? But I, I do remember, you know, when I was trying to be this, this cool kid, I, I would always try to, like, stay out late, you know, I'd hang out with friends, I, I'd do things that, you know, I guess rebellious cool kids would do uh, during those times. And so, um, I would try to do all these things. I would try to fit in in some ways. And in my years in Korea, I developed this close friendship with some other guys that thought very similar to me, right? And we had very similar values in some ways. And so all my time, all my free time was actually hanging out with these guys. And so we'd, we'd try to do like, we'd try to build this brotherhood kind of feel to our friendships. And so back during this time, uh, we used to watch all these Korean gangster drama movies, and the one that was really popular at this time was this one movie called Chingu, uh, which means friend. Right. And it was a movie about these like four friends that had grown up together, and they end up, you know, their paths diverge in different ways, and they end up joining different gangs, right? These gangs, you know, they're pitted against each other, but somehow through their loyalty and their, their undying loyalty to one another and their friendship, uh, you know, they, they stay together, right, until death. And so I remember as immature, young teenagers, we would try to profess our undying loyalty to one another, kind of modeled after these movies. We used to have this really cheesy statement that we got from Bad Boys, the movie, and we'd say this to each other. We'd say, we ride together, we die together. Bad Boys for life, right? <laughs> so corny, right? So cheesy. <laughs> but we would do that all the time. And so usually uh, a lot of the weekends that we would go, we would hang out with each other. And we used to hang out this, this river that divides uh, the city of Seoul. And, and it was called Hangang, which is, you know, literally means just Han River. And so we would go and we'd sit there by this river and we'd probably just sit there to the wee hours of the night and we'd partake in some illegal alcoholic beverages that, you know, high school students shouldn't be drinking. Um, 
And, and we try to act all cool, try to act all like rebellious in that way. And then we try to engage in these deep philosophical questions, I mean, conversations with one another. And, and these deep philosophical conversations would often revolve around which girl we had a crush on or which girl that we really liked. So not really deep at all. But on this particular day, one of my close friends, Ron, he, he was huge on this whole friendship and loyalty thing. And so he starts asking these hypothetical questions to each of us that were there. And so he asks this question. He says, so if I was getting jumped by, by 10 guys, would you come out and defend me? Even if you knew that you would get beat up as well, right? And we respond, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. You know, that's what friends are for. We're, we're, we stick up for each other. And then he asks, okay, well, what if all these guys had weapons? They had knives and bats and stuff. Would you still come out and help me? And we respond, yeah, 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 we, we'd do that, right? And then my friend took it another step further. He goes, all right, so what if one of the guy had a gun? and he was pointing it in my direction. Would you jump in front of, front of me to save my life? Right? A bit of silence, and we're like, mm, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we do that. You know, that, you know friends are supposed to stay loyal to death, right? Yeah, we, we, we do that. And so then Ron's like, okay. So, so he starts thinking, okay, let me, let me get more practical. So he starts taking off his shoes, and he takes off his socks, he starts rolling up his pants, and then he asks, what if I decided to jump into this river? would you jump in as well because you're just my friends, right? And there's more like, yeah, yeah, you, we, we do it, but, you know, don't be stupid. Like, this, you know how nasty and gross this river is? Like, why would you want to jump in? And, he, and he's, like, he's like, if you were really my friends, you would jump into it. So he goes and he just jumps into this river, right? And then, my, you know, and then we're all like looking at him, we're like, oh my gosh, why, why would you jump into the river? And then he's calling out to us in this waist deep in the, in the water, and he's like, if you're really my friends, you guys would jump in here too, right? And so I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do this, but, you know, I got to prove my loyalty to him. So I go and I take off my shoes, take off my sock, and roll up my pants, and I go and I jump into this river. I ended up actually cutting my foot because there was actually broken glass in the bottom of this river. And it's just, this river was nasty. It was just putrid smelling. It's just really polluted. It's just not a nice river, right? And so I remember just jumping in and then feeling all gross about it. And then on the way back home, you know, I had to take the bus to, to get back home. Like the whole side of the bus like, would clear out for us and go to the other side because we just had this stench am among us. And so it's just a really weird sight to see. Like we're all drenched and, and we're all smelly and my foot was all bandaged up because it was all bloody. But I remember that experience. And, and I was thinking about it. And I realized that I... Looking back at that, I realized that I, I really longed for an authentic and real community. I, I wanted so bad to feel accepted by my friends that I was willing to do these stupid things like jump into a dirty river. And I gave into the peer pressures of my friends to feel like I was so I could be accepted into this community. What I also learned in that moment is that there's often a desire by each of us to want to feel accepted. To, to want to feel loved, to want to be connected. And those are the things that God allows us to have when we decide to abide in His love. Those are the natural effects of what happens when we receive the love of Christ and then take steps towards entering into God's community. You know, these last several weeks, as we've been journeying on our message series called Loving as Jesus Loves, 
the last five weeks, uh, we've been exploring how Jesus loves each of us. And what does that love enable us to do? Yeah. If you've missed any of those messages, you can actually go onto our website and, and, and download it onto the podcast and, and you can listen to it. And I recommend you, you doing that. But today I'm actually transitioning a little bit further. So after having received God's love into our lives, you know, what does it look like for us to, to love now as Jesus loves? And so what does it look like in our relationships with others, in our other, you know, people in this church, people in your, maybe your neighborhood? What does it look like in your relationships with people in your family? What would that look like for you to love? And I'm going to suggest in my title, as if you look in your worship bulletin, that love creates safe places. And so we're going to explore that idea together, and we're going to explore that by looking at uh, a passage in John 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to John 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. And if you don't have your Bible, you can whip out your smartphone, and, or you could just look up onto the screen as it's going to be projected up there. So let me read it for us. John 15, verses 1 through 17. It says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you may ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of God. Would you just bow your heads for a quick moment in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the ways in which you encourage us and the ways in which you challenge us uh, on what it means to, to be able to love and to receive your love and to, to be connected to you, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would take this time to open up our hearts, open up our minds, God, open up our ears, God, so that we would be receptive and just ready to hear whatever it is that you want to impart upon our lives. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To give you a little bit of a context to, to this passage, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples about what it means to abide in him. 
And he uses a gardening and farming metaphor, as many people in that culture were familiar with that. And he uses this picture of a vineyard. And there's a vine that Jesus declares that he is the vine and that we are all branches of that vine. So we're all connected to Jesus when we make that step in following him. And in this metaphor, he talks about how we're all connected to each other and most importantly, that we're connected to God. Jesus then goes into more detail about how this, this plant works. You know, what would, it, what would obviously make sense to the audience as they're hearing this about this idea of, of pruning and cutting so that this plant would become, you know, fruitful. So I've never done this before, but after having moved to the area, and this, to this area, and after having moved and bought our first home and, and, and having a backyard that, that gets a lot of sunlight, and I've been wanting to do this for years. So I planted, this past summer, I planted my first garden, okay? And I feel like it turned out okay considering how green I was. Did you get that joke? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Corny humor. Get that one? Okay, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> so... So this past summer, I understood what it meant to, to prune and to have to cut off maybe branches that weren't producing fruit. So I actually planted two tomato fruits, I mean two tomato plants, and I kind of used it as an experiment. So for one of them, I started pruning them, making sure like that I was pruning off the, the branches that w- there weren't look like, looking like they were growing anything. Um, and then the other one, I just left the same. And so over the course of the summer, it ended up one plant produced 15 tomatoes, right? And the other one only produced three, okay? So it it makes a pretty big difference what happens if you're able to prune a plant and and make sure that it's more efficient or effective in the way that it grows. And so Jesus is often referring to this this metaphor, this idea of pruning, that that you need to prune because if you don't prune, it's just not going to be as fruitful, But when you do prune, it will make it more fruitful and allow you to to grow more, right? But he also talks about this other idea that when you you go and you're not producing any kind of fruit, that that it gets cut off, right? And if you're not connected to to the the vine or to the plant, you die, right? And so Jesus is using this metaphor to really explain this whole idea that, that we often need to be connected. We need to be connected to each other. We need to be connected to God, right? And, and, and he explains all these different things. And, and most of the people that are listening to this understand this. They understand this, this metaphor. But then Jesus goes on to explain why is, he, you know, why is he giving this metaphor. And he says in verse 8 and 9, this is his intention to this. He says, this is my Father's glory. It's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So Jesus is explaining to the disciples that what he ultimately desires for his people is to bear much fruit, right, and to abide in his love for them. See, God wants us to be connected to him and to each other. Because when we're connected to to Jesus in that, that, that we grow more, right? You know, the whole vine, Jesus is referring to that he's the vine, right? And he says that in the sense that when you are connected to this vine, that that's the only way that you will actually grow. Jesus goes on to the passage to challenge his disciples what he expects of them. In verse 12, he says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
So as we receive the extravagant love uh, of Jesus, we're then called to go and love one another. We're, we're challenged to go and, and create these safe places in which people are welcomed, where people will know that they are loved, where people will feel accepted, right? Our, our challenge is that, as disciples of Jesus is to love like Jesus loves, to create communities that people are longing for, the kind of community that I was longing for as a high school student. You know, I wanted to experience this true and authentic kind of community, and I only was able to experience maybe an artificial kind of form of it, right? I was really longing for this authentic community that I could, that only would be able to be provided through the love of Jesus. And so we're left with, with three challenges for us. And the first challenge is this. We're called to be sacrificial in our love for others. Okay? Our love needs to be sacrificial. In the passage in John 15, Jesus challenges the disciples on what kind of love is expected from them in order for them to create these safe places of growth. Verse 13 says this. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus goes on to say that he considers each of us his friends. He says it to the disciples, and he says it also to us, that he considers each of us his friends, and that he would ultimately lay down his life for all the world, for each of us. And he would go to the cross, he would die a criminal's death, and he would rise again. Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for us so that we would be able to experience true life, you know, life everlasting. But he also challenges us for ourselves as he's laid down his life for the world, as he's laid down his life for you and I, that he calls us to do the same for others, to be willing to sacrifice ourselves out of our love for others, right? You know, the ultimate example that, that Jesus shows right now is, is that for you to love someone is to lay down your life, to literally lay down your life, right? To sacrifice your life for the other. And if you think about it, that's really difficult. That's a, that's a huge and, and challenging task to really lay down your life for another person, right? But in some sense, Jesus is, is not saying that, you, you, I guess, you know, he's not saying everyone needs to just lay down their life in that sense. But what he might be challenging you, though, is that we have to go into the place in which we may lay down our needs and our desires for the needs uh, of someone else. Right? To, to, to not always care for your own needs, put it always first, but actually put someone else's needs in front of yours, to take care of their needs and their desires and their hopes instead of your hopes and your desires, right? That you would willing be willing to sacrifice your own desires for the, so that others would be served and be loved. As a parent, you come to grips with how, how you are actually challenged and you need to do, do this. You know, often as a parent, you're, you're willing to sacrifice your own needs and your own wants for your, for your child because you want the best for them. And so you're willing to do that. Right? And, and people, parents would gladly do it for their children. If you didn't know this about me, I'm a huge New York Giants football fan, okay? I, I love the New York Giants. And this past Monday, the Giants were playing on Monday Night Football, right? And so I was looking forward to watching my New York Giants, my favorite team, play on a primetime game, right? And, but being a night game, the game starts at 
And usually, as a family, we eat dinner at 6, and we, don't, we try not to watch any TV or anything while we're eating dinner together. And so I had some time, you know, in between us having dinner, so it's 5.30 to 6, and so I'm thinking, okay, I can watch my giants live, okay? I can watch them before we eat dinner, right? And so I turn on the New York Giants, it's 5.30, right? And I'm, I'm excited, I'm, I'm ready to watch. And then my oldest daughter, Alyssa, exclaims out, I don't want to watch football. We always watch football, right? I was like, we don't always, yeah, maybe we do. But he's like, she's like, I don't want to watch football. Can we, can we watch Dora the Explorer? And I was like, okay, I should put my foot down and say, no, we are a New York Giants family. And so we will watch football together as a family. But, but I couldn't do it. So then I was like, all right, fine. We can watch Dora together. So I, I turn off the game, and I'm there watching Dora the Explorer with my five-year-old daughter <laughs> while my New York Giants are getting killed by the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> so I got to watch it afterwards. I recorded it and watched it afterwards. But this is just a kind of a light example of, of what, it, what it means to kind of just sacrifice, to, to lay down your life for, for your, your needs or what you want for others, right? But the challenge that Jesus gives is that we would do that, you know, in many senses, that we would lay down our lives for others, that we would truly be sacrificial in our love for others, even if it means literally sacrificing your life for others. You know, this next example is a little bit more serious, and it actually may, may be um, something that, that still brings back really bad memories. Um, and it's, it was an event that happened uh, pretty close to home. It was right, you know, right across the, the bridge in Seattle. And many of you might have been affected by this tragedy that happened one way or another. But I'm guessing you remember uh, this incident that happened almost a little over two years ago when a gunman entered into the student hall of Seattle Pacific University. And this gunman went in to this hall and he started randomly shooting students that were gathered together. It ended up that one student was fatally killed and two more were seriously injured. It was this great tragedy that really shook the SPU community to the core. But if you remember, this shooting could have been far worse if it wasn't for the heroics of this one student named John Meese, Mice. John was a student monitor in that hall when the gunman had walked in and he risked his own life and he tackled the gunman. Witnesses say that as the gunman was reloading his weapon, John ran over to him, pepper sprayed the man, and then tackled him to the floor. And then other students saw what had happened, and so they jumped in and they helped him, and they were able to, to get him to, to release his weapon, and they pinned him to the ground. If you think about it, right, looking, if you just imagine that, that, I, that thought in your head, you, you realize that that was a truly courageous and brave thing that this young man did. This young man, without any regard to his own life and his own safety, runs out to stop this shooter. And the student was willing to be sacrificial, to risk his life, right, for the safety and care of his peers and his friends. He showed the world that day what it really means to be like Christ and to love like Christ that he was willing, literally willing, to lay down his life for the sake of others. 
Jesus commands his disciples that we would love in a way that is sacrificial. We may not get to the point like this young man, John, who, who lays down his life in that sense. But Jesus is still challenging us. How can we sacrifice our needs and our wants so that we can care and serve and love others and for their needs and their wants and their desires? How can we do that? Right? And Jesus challenges us that you need to be able to love and to love sacrificially. The second challenge is that we're called to be accepting of one another despite any flaws or failures. I spoke about this a, a few months ago when we were going through the book of Romans, but I want to bring your attention back to this. Uh, it's a verse in Romans 15:7, and it says this, Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And, and like I said before, you know, I, I spoke about this passage. At the time when I spoke about it, I, I explained to you that this word accept that's in, in this text comes from a Greek word, proslambano, right? Which means to draw one in. The, the, the more the, the people will say that, the scholars will say that this connotes this, this literal sense of, of, a, of a person hugging another person. So there's this idea that you're drawing the other person in and you're, you're like, you know, someone's coming over to you and you're like embracing them with your arms and you, you, boom, and you bring them in and you're accepting them, you're embracing them. So what Paul is saying in this verse in Romans is that the community of believers are called to accept one another, to embrace one another. In the midst of this passage, the context of it is that there was an argument that was happening uh, amongst the community. And Paul, what Paul is, is saying is that for the community, that they, that they are called to accept one another and to be able to set aside their differences so that they would be able to accept and love one another. He never says in, in this passage, though, he never says that, you know, once you guys are able to, you know, figure out your differences, you know, figure out this conflict that you're having, then you need to accept one another. But instead, he actually goes and says, you, even despite the, the disagreements that you have together as a community, the challenge is that you still go and accept each other. You go and you love and you embrace one another. And because when you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus accepted each of us before we did anything that would make us more acceptable. Jesus loved and accepted us despite our flaws and our failures. And so calling for each of us is that we would do the same, to accept one another and love on each other despite their flaws, despite their weaknesses, despite their, their, their failures. And then we're called then to create this welcoming and safe place for people to come from all walks of life so that they would know that they are loved, that they, they would know that they are welcomed, that they, are, they would know that they are accepted. If you have a, a young daughter or niece or you, you, maybe you take care of, of, of a little girl who's somewhere between the ages of 4, 10, 4 to 10 maybe, uh, you're probably you're going to be a little bit more familiar with this reference that I'm going to bring up. But there's a song that kind of goes like this, and I'm going to try to sing it for you. All right, so bear with me here. So I'll sing it. It goes, Is it the clumpy way he walks, or the grumpy way he talks, or the pear-shaped, square-shaped weirdness of his feet? And though we know he washes well, he always ends up sort of smelly. 
but you'll never meet a fella who's as sensitive and sweet. So he's a bit of a fixer-upper, so he's got a few flaws. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> no more. <laughs> if you didn't know, I-, I sang a line from a song called The Fixer-Upper from a popular movie called Frozen. Okay? I probably watched this movie Frozen maybe about more than 50 times. <laughs> and I actually was watching it this last week, and that's why I actually have this reference, because I was watching it. But this song is in the midst of the story, right? And so one of the characters, his name is Kristoff, right? And he's got this family of trolls, right? And, and, and they're going and they're trying to convince this other, one of the main characters, Anna, that, that this guy Kristoff is a good person, yeah, but he's just a bit of a fixer-upper, right? And so they're just saying, you know, he, he's a good catch, but still has some flaws that, that could be changed. But I wanted to share a, you a line from the bridge of this song. And it says this, and I'm not going to sing it this time. It says, we aren't saying you can change him because people don't really change. We're only saying that love's a force that's powerful and strange. People make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. But throw a little love their way and you'll bring out their best. True love brings out the best. For a children's movie, that, that's, that's pretty deep, right? There's a lot of truth in that line. This is essentially what I actually tell um, you know, premarital couples when I'm counseling them before they get married. I'll tell them that you won't be able to change your spouse, okay? but that you need to go and accept them for who they are. Right? But the last couple of lines in, that, in, this, in this bridge are just as true. Right? In that if you care and you love uh, on a person, that love will allow them to be able to grow and to be able to be transformed. It will bring out their best. Pastor Wayne often says this. He says, people grow most in, the, in that place where they are loved the most. Right? See, the calling for each of us is that we would accept one another, despite their flaws or their failures, right? so that others would feel loved the most. And in that place in which they are loved the most, that God would allow them to grow the most. Now, the challenge for us is that we would create this space by loving others and accepting them, that we would create a space for them to be known, to be loved, so that they would be able to grow and be transformed. That's the second challenge for each of us. The third and final challenge is this, is that we're called to be radical in our love for others. A famous passage that you might be familiar with is in Luke 10, with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole passage for us. So I'll give us a Cliff Notes version of it. But in it, an expert of the law comes to Jesus asking, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes on to reply, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And at which, you know, this expert of the law goes and replies, and he says, okay, then who, who is my neighbor? Right? And then Jesus goes on to tell this parable uh, of the Good Samaritan. And a quick synopsis of, of the story is that there is a Jewish man that is traveling. And as he's traveling along, he gets beaten up, he gets jumped, right? And he gets robbed, and he gets left for dead on the side of the road. And then it's, and Jesus says that there's, there's these two people, two religious people that are expected to have some kind of compassion, 
come and they see him. One person goes and they see him and they go to the other side of the road and they just walk past him. The other guy does the same thing. And then he share, Jesus shares about this Samaritan is traveling along. And he sees this Jewish man and he goes out of his way and he loves and he cares and tends this, this man's needs. And then he goes and he takes care of him, brings him over to, to an inn and, and takes care of him there. Goes the extra mile for him. Right? And, and if you knew this a little bit, you know, Samaritans and, and, the, and, the, and the Israelites or the Jews were, did not get along. They had this long history of conflict amongst them, and so they did not get along. They considered each other enemies of one another. And so Jesus points out in the, in the telling of this parable that our neighbors are, are not people who live, you know, are not just people who live in close proximity to us, are not people who are just like us, you know, but our neighbors are actually people who are actually quite different from us and people that could be even considered our enemies. Essentially, Jesus is saying that all our neighbors are, are, are everyone. You know, we're, we're called to go and, and love everyone, even people that might be different from us, even people who are our enemies. But he's still challenging us to go and love them. Right? Jesus is making this radical call of what it means to love one another. And that's the call that he expects of each of us. Let me close with this last story. And this is a story I shared with 2911 this last, uh, this last week. And there's a story uh, about this man, Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo um, is a professor, preacher, pastor from the Philadelphia area. And, and one week, he was a guest speaker for a Christian conference uh, in Honolulu, Hawaii. And so if you're from the East Coast, yeah, you kind of know that a flight to Hawaii from the East Coast is actually pretty long. Right? And so you get pretty jet-lagged uh, through, that, through that flight. And so that was the same for, for Tony. And so on that first night of that, that conference, Tony could not fall asleep, right? He was tossing and turning in his bed all the way till three in the morning. And so he decides, okay, I'm not going to fall asleep. So he gets up and he decides he's going to go for a walk. And so as he's going outside of his hotel, he's just kind of searching the area and there's nothing open around his hotel. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to see if I can travel a little bit further out, maybe find somewhere that might be open and, and get a bite to eat. And so as he travels and he walks a little bit further out, further out, he finally gets himself to you know, a very sketchy area, right? And he finds this dinky little diner that looks like it's open. So he's like, okay, I'll just go into this diner. So he walks into the diner and he finds this big Hawaiian dude at the counter. He has got grease and, you know, stains all over his apron. And he looks like a gruff guy. And he's wearing a name tag with the name Harry on. And so Tony walks in, sits down at the counter, and he, he shares how he's a pretty big germaphobe. So he's like, I don't want to touch anything here. Like, everything looks really dirty, right? And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to order some maybe coffee and maybe some donuts, you know, maybe the least likely thing to be touched by another person or something, right? So he orders the, the donut and, and the cup of coffee. And so Tony's sitting there at the diner, on the diner counter. And then at 3.30 in the morning, right, the door swings wide open, and eight prostitutes come in to the diner. They end up surrounding Tony at the counter, and they're loud, they're boisterous, they're, they're talking about some really crude and obscene things that maybe occurred, you know, that last day. And so Tony's feeling really uncomfortable. He's thinking in his head, this looks 
pretty sketchy for a pastor to be in a diner surrounded by prostitutes in the middle of the night. But he start, just starts munching on his donuts, and he's, he's figuring out, okay, how am I going to get away? How am I going to just, you know, plan my exit? When suddenly he overhears a conversation. One of the women next to him says, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend who was sitting, you know, right next to her responds in this nasty way. and says, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a birthday cake and sing you happy birthday? You know, what do you expect from me? And then the first woman says, you know, come on, why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. You know, why, why do you have to put me down about this? I was just telling you, it's my birthday. And, and I don't expect any from you, anything from you. you know, and I wouldn't even expect anyone to give me a birthday party. I've never had a birthday party in my life. Why should I have one now? And so Tony hears this conversation, and he ends up making a decision in that moment. He waits at the counter until the, the, the prostitutes are done eating and had left the diner. And so he goes over to this, the big guy at the counter, Harry, and he says to him, do these women come here a lot? And Harry replies, yeah, yeah. They come here every single day at 3.30 in the morning. Right? And then Tony asks, so the one sitting next to me, right, does she come here every night too? And Harry says, yeah, yeah, she does too. Her name's Agnes. Wait, wait, why, why do you want to know? Right? So Tony shares with, with Harry his decision. He says, uh, because I heard that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a surprise birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? Right, right as Tony gives him this idea, Harry just begins to smile, right? And he chuckles to himself. He goes, that's a great idea. I, I like it, right? And so Harry calls over to his wife who was in the back, back room, and he's like, hey, come out, come out here. This guy's got this great idea. So tomorrow is Agnes's birthday, and this guy has this like, great idea to throw her a birthday party right here tomorrow night. Right? Harry's wife comes in, and, and she's just all bright and smiling, and she says, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is, is one of those really nice people and nobody does anything really nice for her. She, she deserves something like this. And so Tony says, all right, great. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to come back here tomorrow morning at 2.30, and I'm going to go ahead and decorate the whole place. So I'll bring out all the decorations, I'll do whatever I can, and I'll even get a birthday cake. And then Harry says, no, 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 no. The birthday cake's my thing, okay? I make the birthday cake. So Tony's like, all right, all right, that works for me, that works for me. I'll see you tomorrow morning at 2.30. And so the next morning, at 2.30 in the morning, Tony gets back to the diner, and he decorates the place from wall to wall, right? And then he brings these big poster board papers, and he writes on it, Happy Birthday, Agnes. By 3.15 in the morning, the place was packed with every prostitute in Honolulu. Apparently, the word had gotten out that there was going to be this huge birthday party that was going to happen. And so every prostitute in Honolulu wanted to take part in this. And so they all came. And so Tony is now squished into this tiny diner with a room full of prostitutes. And again, he's like, this looks really sketchy. This looks really bad. Finally, it turned to 3.30 in the morning. And right as the clock turned to 3.30, in comes Agnes and her friends. And that's when everyone screams at the top of their lungs, everyone inside the diner says, happy birthday. 
And Agnes just froze at hearing those words. Her mouth just became wide open. Her legs started to buckle, and she was just stunned. She was about to fall over, but then her friends caught her, and they held her up, and they brought her to the table, and then they sat her down. And the crowd, as she sat down, the crowd began to sing, happy birthday. So they'd sing, happy birthday to you, and they're singing this song to her. And as they're singing, Agnes's eyes start to tear up. And then Harry comes out of the back door with a cake, small cake, with 39 candles on it. When Agnes sees this candle, I mean this cake, she just totally loses it. She just breaks down, sobbing with joy. And then Harry kind of stands over Agnes, and he's really impatient, got the patience of like a five-year-old, and he's like, all right, blow out the candles, Agnes. And he waits like two seconds. He's like, fine. So he blows it himself. And then he goes and he hands over, over a knife and says, Agnes, okay, go, cut the cake. We all want the cake now. Cut the cake. And then Agnes pauses a little bit, and she looks down at the cake. And without her eyes, you know, taking her eyes off of the cake, she softly says, hey, Harry, is it all right with you? I mean, if it's okay, can we just, can we just look at the cake? Just, I just want to look at the cake. I, I don't want to eat it right away. And Harry just kind of shrugs, and he's like, sure, it's okay. It's, it's your birthday. It's your cake. You can do whatever you want. If you want to keep it, just keep the cake then. You can do whatever you want. Take it home if you want. And Agnes is like, oh, I could, I could take it home? Can, can I? Do you think I could take it home? I live right down the street. Uh, I, I'd love to just take this home. This is so special to me. And Harry's like, go ahead, do that. So she goes and she picks up the cake and she walks out the diner. Right? And she's you know, just smiling with joy. And as she walks out, the room is just quiet. It's like awkward silence. And no one knew what to do. So Tony, being a pastor, decides to break this awkward silence. And he says, why don't we pray? <laughs> and so he goes and he says a prayer of blessing for Agnes and her life. After he does that, after the prayer, Harry leans over towards Tony with a bit of hostility now in his voice. And he says, hey, you never told me you were a pastor. What kind of church do you belong to? And then Tony answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And then Harry waits a moment, and then he says, nah, no you don't. There's no such thing. There's no church like that. Because if there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? Wouldn't we all want to join a church that, that acts like the church? Lighthouse. The challenge for us today is to become more like the church that God had called and challenged us and wanted for us to be the church, right? You, know, you don't need to be like, like Tony in really, in actually having birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning, okay? You can if you'd like. But the challenge is to see how can you love one another and create these safe and welcoming places where people will feel 
accepted. Well, people will feel, uh, you know, loved and welcomed into, and that they would know that this is a safe place for them to receive God's love and to grow and to be transformed. See, I believe if we take those active challenges, those active steps of creating a place where we are able to love sacrificially, to accept one another despite their flaws, and to love in this radical manner that Jesus actually challenged and calls us to do, you know, then we actually end up becoming the church, living out the mission and calling that we were called towards living out as the church. This is what Jesus had envisioned for His people and His church to be able to love like Jesus loves. And that's really the ultimate challenge for each of us, that we will be able to love to this great extent so that we are able to create this welcoming and safe place for people to be invited into and to go and, and know and accept God's extravagant love for them, that we would truly be a light into this dark world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, because of your great love for us. Before we did anything that would allow us to be loved or to be accepted by you, God, Lord, that you came to us first, that you loved us first, and you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take upon our sins, to make us white as snow, and so that we would be able to receive eternal life and to become in a relationship with you. But we thank you, God, for that great sacrifice that you did for us. And we pray, God, Lord, that you would help us then as we've come to to receive this great love for each of our lives, God, but that we would go out and extend it out to the world, to those around us, to those that are, that are friends, our family, God, those are who are neighbors, our coworkers, God, that you would help us, Lord, to be challenged to love one another, Lord, as you love each and every person. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to be able to love sacrificially, that we would be able to give up the things that we want, the desires that we have, to care for the needs of someone else. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to to learn how to accept one another despite our differences, despite the, the things that might leave us in conflict, but we would come and we would embrace and accept one another. But lastly, God, that you would help us to love radically in the way that you love us, God, that we would love people who are different from us, we would love people who, who don't... Um, like the same things we do, God. We would love even our enemies. But we would do all these things so that we would be able to be a light unto this world and that we would be able to create a safe and welcoming and accepting place where your, your tr- transformative power can be present. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.